Take your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter number 3 and verse number 9. Tonight I want to bring you a message that I'm entitled, Building a Life That Will Last. I think we all understand that there is a difference <clears throat> between salvation and rewards. The Lord offers to the lost salvation. According to Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, it is completely apart from works. As we discussed that <clears throat> extensively this morning. You don't deserve it. You can't earn it. To the believer... Though the Lord promises rewards, and the New Testament speaks in the passage that we're going to be looking at tonight at the judgment of the judgment at which the believers will be examined in order to determine what those rewards will be. The term that the Lord uses to describe those rewards is crowns. In fact, the Bible describes five kinds of crowns and how to earn them, and we will look at those as we go through our study tonight. First of all, I want you to notice with me that to build a life that lasts, we need to make sure that we're building on a solid foundation. It says in verse 9, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Paul betrays the church at Corinth as a building, and he stresses that <clears throat> we should strive for quality in every aspect of constructing our spiritual lives. He begins in verse 10 with the laying of the foundation. Then he talks about the actual construction. And he ends with the final inspection. Paul says that there is no other foundation on which anyone can safely build their life other than that of Jesus Christ. But we were touring the world today. And we could stand as a tourist and wonder with admiration before some of the great buildings of the ancient world, some of which have lasted for thousands of years. The Pantheon at Rome stands just as it did well over 2,000 years ago. And this is a secret. It would not be possible was it not for the foundation. The Rialto Bridge that spans the Great Canal and Venus was was born was built in eight in fifteen eighty eight it has stood as it does now for over four centuries, but the the bridge continues to stand because there are twelve thousand pilings which have been driven deep into the soil. What is true of buildings is also true of a life. God cannot and will not build Christian virtues into your life or fill your life with the Holy Spirit for service until the proper foundation of receiving Christ as your personal Lord and Savior is made. First of all, 
We need to make sure that we're building on a solid foundation. Secondly, we need to make sure that we're using the right materials. Verse number 12. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, Paul tells us that there are ways to build upon this foundation that are acceptable and there are ways that are unacceptable. He lists six categories of materials that we may use in building our lives, wood, hay, and stubble, gold, silver, and precious stones. Those six materials are likewise divided into two very broad groups, wood, hay, and stubble, which are perishable, and gold, silver, and precious stones, which are permanent. We are to build our lives on those things, he says, which are permanent, those things which will last, not those things which will be destroyed when we stand before the Lord. Of significance is what happens to gold, silver, and fine (coughs) stones when they go through a fire. They aren't destroyed. They are simply purified and they remain. So everything that I've done in the power of the Spirit and for the glory of God will be just be made more beautiful and precious for Jesus. But when wood, hay, and straw catch fire, there's not much left. Everything that I've ever done to receive the attention and the praise of others will go up in smoke. The foundation will remain, but the straw house will be gone. You may never remember anything else I've ever preached, but you'll probably remember this illustration. You remember the children's story, The Three Little Pigs. They each built a house. One of them made his house out of straw. It was the quickest. One of them built his house out of sticks. And the last one built his house out of bricks. When the wolf came by, he was able to blow down the house of straw and the house of sticks. But the house of bricks stood strong. What we need to understand as we look at these two broad categories is that the Bible is not saying that wood, hay, and stubble are evil. Wood's not evil. Wood makes nice things. Hay isn't evil. It's needed for livestock and many other things. Stubble, which they are talking about here, is what's used for to use for a <clears throat> building a roof in the Middle East. It has a purpose. It's not evil. But it's worthless if it's not fitting. Dr. John MacArthur says this. He says, you know, there are some people who go through their life busy, 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 building with wood, hay, and stubble. They go to church and they sit down and they say, this is my precious stone today. I'm, I'm building. And they sit there and they listen and they go out the back door and nothing else. You know what that was? It wasn't bad to come to church, was it? No, it's good, isn't it? It's good to come to church, but you know, if all you do is come and walk away and that's it, I think that's probably stubble. And I think he's probably right. God is concerned for the quality that he finds in our lives and in the lives of the church. 
He wants us to build with gold and silver and precious stones. And unfortunately, <clears throat> we're more inclined to reach for shortcuts, which would be wood, hay, and stubble. Sometimes to the naked eye, it's hard to tell the difference between quality and veneer. I once worked for a cabinet shop, and my job was to apply the veneer to the side of the cabinet. If it was done correctly, it did look like it was solid wood, but it wasn't. It was just a thin, thin surface. Paul says, <clears throat> God knows, God sees, and the truth is going to be revealed. Let's think about some of the things, and, and I think if I mention these, probably they're going to bring some newspaper stories to your mind or things that you've heard over the news. Uh, we see some evidence of this kind of thing in our own day. For example, the reporter who wins a, a prize, only later to be discovered that he's made up the whole story. The athlete who is exalted for his achievement but who is exposed as a person who enhances his abilities through drugs. The scholar who is exposed as one who stole the ideas for his thesis through plagiarism. The man who has a public position of guarding others from abuse, but who is exposed of being guilty of the same practice in private. It's tempting build God's church in our lives using shortcuts as well. We choose to do what would draw a crowd rather than what would require commitment. We pursue what is flashy over what is solid. We proclaim whatever is the pop psychology of the day rather than the difficult truth about sin and God's wonderful grace. We give in and we indulge our children rather than teach them to make good choices and the importance of values in life. We do what we have to do instead of all that we can do. We choose convenience over sacrifice. We strive to keep up with the world rather than living apart from the world. We live, we allow our families to become involved in sports to the point that there is a detriment to their commitment to the Lord. And all those things are wood, hay, and stubble. Warren Wordsby writes, it's, It comes as a shock to some church members that you can't manage a local church the same way you run a business. That doesn't mean that we should not follow good business principles, but the operation is totally different. There is a wisdom of this world that works for the world, but it will not work for the church. The world depends on promotion and prestige and the influence of money and important people. The church, however, should depend on prayer, the power of the Holy Spirit, humility, sacrifice, and service. The church that imitates the world may seem to succeed for a time, but it will turn to ashes in eternity. I think he's right. But we do need to remember about this whole issue that 
our building materials don't determine our salvation. They determine our reward. Paul says in verse 15, if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. In other words, we are saved through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. We are rewarded on what we do in Christ, not what we do for Christ. We do not work to gain salvation. We work diligently because we are saved. It does not suggest that one might, it does, however, suggest that one might be in danger of the ultimate accountability that each will face. It does not suggest that they are in danger of losing his or her salvation, but is a stern warning about that ultimate accountability that we will all face. There's a third thing found in verse 13. Make sure your life is ready for inspection. Perhaps everybody's built a house to the point that you know if there's a bank loan involved, there comes a day at which... There will be a bank inspection. He says in every life there will come a time when there's a God inspection. He says each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which has been built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. So before we get into a discussion of the rewards, I think we need to avoid some confusion by clarifying between two very important but two very different judgments. First, there is the judgment seat of Christ, sometimes called the Bema seat judgment. B-E-M-A, Bema. In Greek culture, the Bema seat was the place at which judgments were handed out and the place where athletes received their rewards. 1 Corinthians 3.13 says, Each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. It is Christians who are in view here. All that has been hidden in the past will be revealed. The things that were done in the body will come Uh, Back to us at last, every pious thought, every thought of uh, every secret prayer, but also every secret curse, every unknown deed of charity, yet every hidden deed of selfishness will all be remembered. Who's rewarded here? I think it's very clear. He says, only Christians and all Christians, only Christians will stand before the Lord in at the Bema Seat Judgment, and all Christians, not just some, not just a few, not just the qualified, but though everyone will stand before the Lord. 
only Christians and all Christians. When and where is this reward uh, going to transpire? And the answer is that in heaven, after the rapture, and before the Lord returns uh, to set up his millennial kingdom on the earth, Jesus often spoke about <clears throat> being rewarded in heaven. For example, he said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 12, Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. <clears throat> Secondly, there is a judgment that is referred to as the great white throne judgment. <clears throat> I've heard people over the years mistakenly say, when I stand before God at the great white throne, you don't want to ever say that. Because the great white throne judgment is for unbelievers. There will be no saved there, only the unsaved. It's recorded in Revelation chapter 20 and verses 11 through 15. The white throne judgment will take place a thousand years after the judgment seat of Christ. And the white throne judgment is for the unsaved, living and dead, where they will finally hear from the words, those terrible words, depart from me, for I never knew you. <clears throat> it will also be the answer to everyone who has ever said, I just want to have my good works weighed against my bad. That's exactly what will happen. No one will enter heaven that way. There will be no saved people at the great white throne and there will be no lost people present at the judgment seat of Christ. Now, I just want to spend a few moments talking about those crowns. There are five different kinds of crowns described in the Bible. <clears throat> there are two different words that can be translated in Greek as crown. There is the word stephanos, which means uh, martyr's crown. And there is a diadem. A diadem is a victor's crown. He is talking here about a, <clears throat> a crown that has been given us as a reward. First of which is the incorruptible crown found in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25. And if you have the outline, you need to correct. <clears throat> I don't know what I was thinking when I wrote that, but anyway... The verse says, and everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things, and they who do it uh, obtain a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. This crown is earned through faithfulness to the Lord. Faithfulness to the Lord. The second crown is the crown of life. Now, we really don't know whether this is a visible, tangible object or if this is figurative. I pre prefer to think it's tangible for a reason. And I'll get to that in just a moment. <clears throat> the crown of life, James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to all those who love him. 
This crown seems to be directed to those who endure and overcome temptation and times of testing. There is also the crown of righteousness in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. It seems that we win this crown of righteousness by right living in the light of his imminent coming. No other single truth has more potential to produce right living in a believer. First John 3, 3 says, And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. Number four is the crown of rejoicing. This crown is earned by winning others to the faith in the Lord and therefore is sometimes called the soul winner's crown. First Thessalonians 2:19 For what is our hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing is it not even you in the presence of the Lord Jesus at his coming for you are our glory and joy. And finally, there's the crown of glory, sometimes called the pastor's crown. 1 Peter 5, 4, it says, And when the chief shepherd shall appear, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. For me, at least, of supreme importance is the answer to the question, what's this crown all about? What am I going to do with this crown? And I think the answer to that is found in Revelation chapter 4, in verses 10 and 11. It's a scene of a, a worship scene in heaven. It says there, the 24 elders fell down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and they, craft, they cast their crowns before his throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you create all things, and by your will they do exist and were created. Now that's why I said I thought they were literal. This verse seems to imply that we will... These crowns that we receive are not something that we're going to be able to carry around all our lives in glory on our arm, showing off to everybody what great believers we were. But rather that they're going to be something that we are going to be able to lay before our Lord's feet in worship. This leads to the thought <clears throat> that there may be an even more solemn moment than just standing before the judgment seat of Christ and not receiving a crown. How much more solemn will it be if we have to pass before the throne of Jesus and we have nothing to lay at his feet? There was a young preacher who 
sat by the bed of a friend who was dying. And as they talked, they talked of his going to be with the Lord. And as they did so, tears filled the eyes of his dying friend. The young preacher thought he was afraid to die, and so he attempted to speak encouraging words to him. But finally, his friend replied, he says, I'm not afraid to die. I'm ashamed to die. He went on to say that although Christ was his Savior, he had lived completely for himself. And now he had to meet his Lord empty-handed. And his life was wood, hay, and stubble. This may seem like a tragic situation, but it's not all that unusual. Sadly, I believe there are many who are destined to meet the Lord empty-handed. Perhaps they are described in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 28. And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. There are some who will be ashamed to meet the Lord because of so little that they have done for him while they were here. They'll be saved, but there'll be no reward. You know, I don't want to stand before the Lord one day and have nothing to lay at his feet in worship when I walk before the throne of the Lord. I want to have something to lay there. I want to make sure that at least part of my life is made up of Gold and silver and precious things, not just wood, hay, and stubble. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these people who have been so faithful to come tonight. I know it would have been much easier for them to just stay at home. Father, I pray in some way that what we've heard tonight might be an encouragement to them, might be a challenge to them, might be a blessing to them. I think I speak for all of us this evening to say we want to to live our lives in a way that is pleasing to you. We don't want to ever stand before you with nothing to offer. You've given us everything that we have in life, and we are thankful. Father, help us to live our lives in such a way that we can stand before you unashamed, that we can stand before you grateful and Lord, I pray that if we need to be challenged in our life to change anything, that we'd be brave enough to do that. If we need to repent of anything, then I pray that you'd lead us. And I pray that for those who just need to be encouraged in their walk with you, that what they're doing, the sacrifices that they make, their faithfulness, makes a difference. Encourage their hearts, Lord. ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me? Brother Dan's going to come. We're going to have a brief invitation. If you need to come tonight for any reason, I'd invite you to come. As we sing. All to